Welcome to episode nine of the Better Belly podcast. In this episode today, I am going to bring to you a question that honestly feels really vulnerable for me to share and to dive in with you. It's a question that I remember asking myself as young as sixth grade when I first got diagnosed with depression and anxiety. And it's a question that I have found myself asking continually as I and other people go through various sickness and illnesses in their life. It's the question that, as you can see on the title, it says, is your sickness biological, psychological, or spiritual? For some of you, this might be a question that you realize you've also been wondering for a very long time. And for others of you, you might have never asked yourself this question. Wherever you are at, I encourage you and invite you to listen in on this question as a thoughtful reflection on really considering where our sicknesses come from and how we can best deal with them. I hope you find it to be an uplifting, encouraging, and inspiring episode to help you think about new ways to think about you and your loved ones, various sicknesses and illnesses. Welcome to the Better Belly Podcast, where we find freedom from food restrictions, we increase energy in our lives, and we begin to feel healthy and vibrant again by finding the root cause of our gut health problems. My name's Allison Jordan, marathon runner, functional medicine practitioner, certified craniosacral therapist, gut health nerd, lover of Jesus, and owner of the Better Belly Therapies, a clinic based in Ann Arbor, Michigan that works with both virtual and local clients to help them achieve the best health of their life. I am here to walk with you on your journey to a better belly and a better life. We're going to go beyond popping a probiotic and checking out our poop. In this show, we are going to go deep into gut transformation strategies that last for life. If you're ready to feel your best, get ready to roll. You are in the right place. In today's episode, I'm going to be giving a lot of information. So disclaimer, it would be really great to have you take notes or even just check out our show notes at the bottom because I'm going to be sharing lots of different books and ideas that you can further research if any of these topics are of more interest to you. But to start, I want to share about where this question even came from. So I am a pretty scientific person on on a level of my personality. So in sixth grade, when I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety, I remember my first question just being like, where did this come from? Why do I have it and other people don't? Because up until that point in sixth grade, I totally figured everybody else felt the same way about the world that I did. They either felt the same level of being overwhelmed or um, maybe felt sad all the time. And I figured all the kids who could go and laugh and play on the park and with their friends were just like better at getting over it than me. And so in sixth grade, it was a huge revelation when someone told me, hey, you have this thing that other people don't have and it goes on in your body. And I remember thinking, but nothing has really happened to me different than other kids, or my life might be pretty good compared to other kids, especially because at that time in my life, I had been exposed to things like the importance of generosity and giving and serving, the importance of giving to children in Africa, and the importance of serving the homeless. And that was just something that I'd grown up with. So it was very shocking to me 
and really made me wonder where it came from. My family has a history of mental illness in it. And so when I learned that I had this mental illness, my parents told me this. And I remember thinking, well, is this all biological? Is this something I was going to happen to me? No matter what, I couldn't stop it. It's not my fault. And I'm like a victim to it. And I couldn't have articulated at the time, but I felt that I needed to know, was this a biological problem or was it something else that I could have impact on? Was it psychological? Was it the way my thoughts were working or was it something else? And that something else I later decided was the spiritual aspect of health. But in biology, I knew a couple things about it. If my problem was biological, it was permanent it was unavoidable. I really thought about Darwin. I don't even know if I knew about Darwin in sixth grade, but I had this sense of, well, your biology, there's DNA. And I watched Bill Nye, the science guy growing up, and I'm sure it, nothing really changes if, if it's all in your biology. I also knew if it was biological, it might not be my fault. And that was really important to me. For those of you who like personality tests, I'm an Enneagram one. I am known as either the perfectionist or the improver. I always want to improve my myself. And I think part of me genuinely in sixth grade was like, what are my building blocks I have to work with? Like how set back am I from the other kids if I have this thing that other people don't? I also want to know, is it my fault? Because if it was my fault, I felt that, well, first off, I should know that I was doing something wrong. That was important to me. And that also I really wanted to know, is there something I could change? Do I have a choice in the matter? And so originally I applied this to a lot of my awareness of mental illness, which took a while to grow over the next few years, but was a question I ended up asking myself again when I got sick in 2015 with this super crazy gut health problem. And I remember that same question coming up of where did this come from? Was I going to get this no matter what? Have I done something to impact this? Can I unravel it? Can I go back? Do I have much of an impact or am I stuck this way? So this first aspect of the question is really important to me. And I think it's really important to a lot of the people that I work with. I know that a lot of people who are listening to this, a lot of people I talk to, there's this question of how hard should I try to get better if maybe it's in my biology, maybe I can't undo it. And that's one of the really interesting things that as I've been searching for this answer, I've realized it's come up over and over and over again as I've studied massage therapy and muscles and spinal health and um, biochemical health and gut health and all these things, and especially with like autoimmune diseases and cancer, these really kind of big illnesses, especially autoimmune diseases, is the question is, can we reverse it? Can we do something else? And are we stuck with it? The hint or the insight I will give with you right now is that I have seen multiple, multiple people with autoimmune disorders in my practice go into remission, have zero flare-ups in a year, and have a pretty much normal life aside from needing to have general precautions and be safe about their health. It has been incredible to see people who have been given pretty blanket, no-hope diagnoses have a pretty normal life and a pretty flexible life that has energy. They're not just stuck in bed. It has been really, really beautiful to ask that question. I believe it's not all in the biology and there is other stuff going on. 
So with that being said, what role does biology play and what are the other factors we want to consider when we're thinking about how biology is manifesting in our lives? So with that, I actually want to move on to the next part of the question. Is your sickness psychological? This question is also really important. I mean, I don't know how many times I've heard either someone tell me or have someone else tell me that they were told by a doctor that it's all in your mind. Maybe if you're stopped being so stressed, maybe you're just too sensitive in your gut. Maybe it's all in your mind and all these problems that you have are not really real and you're just making them up. They are what we call psychosomatic. They start in the mind, but you feel it in your body. And that, first of all, is just a baseline. feels very devalidating. It is not a great question to ask. So I feel like when I first approached this question in my mind of, is your sickness psychological? Some of the cons of the question is that it feels like you're saying it's your fault. It's all your fault. Why are you thinking this way? You are creating your own problem. And it can be nicer to think, well, if it's biological, maybe it's my neurotransmitters are off, or maybe my body doesn't create enough insulin, or maybe my body doesn't do a certain process to create peristalsis or all these different things. And and it's a little bit, well, at least I'm not the bad guy. And it can be harder for someone to say, well, it's all your fault and you're sick. But here are some pros to the question of, is your sickness psychological? Some of the positive things that I remember thinking, well, if it's psychological, is it's flexible, it's changeable. And even if it's maybe my fault or I may be impacting it more than I would prefer, I have a very high achievable goal, which is to actuate my brain plasticity, right? To, to actually change the neurons in my brain and create new thought patterns that create healthy thoughts that impact both my mind, so my psychological health and my mental health, and also my physical body. There are two books that I've read that have been really, really impactful in my understanding of the connection between our psychology and our biology. The one book is The Biology of Belief by Bruce Lipton. I actually talk about this in another podcast called The Biz Chicks Podcast, episode 417. We'll link it in the show notes. And I go in depth with Natalie Ekdahl of the Biz Chicks podcast into how our minds change our bodies, how they can affect us on a molecular biochemical level. The Biology of Belief is a really great read. Even though the guy who wrote it is a teacher and educator of medical students, he wrote it in a really digestible way, which I appreciate. And basically, he ends up saying that in his research and what he was finding is that Darwinism, which we go back to biology, it's this deterministic DNA tells you what is going to happen. You're going to get anxiety and depression no matter what. You're going to get this autoimmune disease no matter what. You're going to get whatever is going to happen, no matter what, because of your DNA. Well, he ended up finding and and really doing some research and suggesting that your DNA isn't so much deterministic, where it's like this dictator in your body. It's more like a manual. And I want you to think in a manual, if you have a car manual, it's basically when this light turns on in my car, what do I do? And a manual says, when these circumstances are happening, here's what you do. And he ended up saying that DNA both on a scientific level, things that we can research, and then on a practical level, things that we observe, it's more like a manual where if you have certain amounts of cortisol in your body, certain high levels of estrogen, certain blood sugar control problems, the body is going to say, okay, under these circumstances, this is what we do. And a lot of times, 
your manual will point to disease, disease manifestations when we are under enough stress and breakdown. But for every person, the manual is a little different. And we tend to have similar manuals passed down through generations. And we can have similar um, even patterns that we see across either whole people groups like nations. We can see patterns across like when certain people undergo these similar kinds of stress. This is how we see them break down, but it's not all the same. I have people who undergo the same surgery and one person actually appendectomies. So when you have appendicitis and they take out the appendix, I have people who come in and their whole life downward spirals after that. They have major constipation problems and their anxiety goes through the roof and they can't eat stuff and they get IBS or they at least get diagnosed with IBS before when they didn't have it. Or maybe they get a lot of PMS problems and like pelvic pain. And it's like, all I did was get my appendix taken out. And I have other people, they tell me they have their appendix taken out and it seems to have no effect on their body. But the truth is, surgery is a type of stress. No matter whether you're getting your gallbladder taken out, whether it's a life-saving surgery or a cosmetic change, surgery is stressful to the body. We have anesthesia put in our body, which is very altering to our chemistry. Um, It can make us depressed. It can change our tissue integrity. It can make our fascia more tight. It can really change um, our nervous system, our vagus nerve and our, our phrenic nerve and how we breathe and our anxiety. So we find that surgery of all sorts and the body knows it's being cut, right? That's stressful. So sometimes I have people come in and they say, well, I don't know what happened to me or why I'm having gut problems. All I know is I've had a few surgeries and that's enough. That can be enough or it can be a piece of the puzzle. So the surgery is a biological thing. It's something that happened to us. And then we have a repercussion that our DNA responds to. Um, And so again, you can read that in the Biology of a Belief by Bruce Lipton. Secondly, you can read in the book Molecules of Emotion by Cam. Candace Pert. This is a fascinating book where she, Candace Pert's a PhD, and she did all this research on uh, ligands and peptides and all of our cells and how our cells have these docking areas onto them where, you know, normally glucose comes onto it and they can pass through, but also viruses will come onto there. And part of the way viruses makes us sick is they will board onto our cells like a pirate ship and they'll take over. They'll input their own DNA and then our cell will start to reproduce that DNA. Well, she found that our brains, when we have emotions, we create chemicals. Like emotions are biologically based. They're not a figment of our imagination. They exist in real space and time. And when the brain experiences large quantities of emotions, so a very intense emotion, or a large quantity over a long period of time, then the brain cannot process these emotions. And so it overflows into the blood-brain barrier, gets into our blood, and gets processed into other parts of the bodies. These peptides of emotions then can dock on the nearest cell. And she found that in her research, she would take biopsies of liver or muscle, and she would find peptides of emotions um, and neurotransmitters, the ones that normally are in the brain that we associate with sadness or with anger, she would find them in other organs of the body. And so she made this big theory that our emotions can affect our organ functionality and all these different things. And so it becomes then that if we're sick, it might not just be because it was predetermined, there might be a psychological aspect. If this is the case and you feel like you're listening to this and 
you're really struck by this, I would encourage you, do not be discouraged because this is telling you that you can actually unravel some things in your health. I have found that that is the case in my health through counseling and through the next step, the spiritual growth and spiritual um, unburdening of ourselves through deeper connection with truth that we do get stronger. And so over the time of my research, I've been encouraged by seeing the impact that psychology can have on our biology and that you're not stuck, you're not a victim where you're at. It's also something I really love working with my clients with, that I'm not, while I'm not a counselor, I am able to identify in our intake forms and the work that we do, are there areas that we can improve psychological health? I have one client that I've worked with boundaries with her a lot, and um, we found that while she had some emotional eating problems, While we were talking about other things, we realized it happened at a certain time of day every day in the late evening, and it was usually when she was stressed from certain things in her life, very specific things. And I said, why don't we create a plan so that we can reduce the stressfulness of these things that keep happening that she felt she couldn't control? I said, what if we create a plan and you feel like you can control it more? So what she didn't need was just more willpower. And I am so, so grieved when I feel like I talk to people and they say, I just know I need to just do this more. I need to try harder. I need more willpower or I don't feel like I can do it because I'm using all the willpower I have and it is not enough. And I have good news for you. Willpower is not what you need. We'll use the cliche, but it's really about working smarter and not harder. And a lot of times we can do that better when there's somebody else's eyes, somebody else's mind and somebody else's voice walking us through that. And that is just a huge benefit of coaches and of counselors, of people who can walk with you. So the goal in our psychological health, if we're believing that um, DNA is more like a manual and it's less like a dictator, the goal is to turn off the genes that are creating our sickness and to get the manual to a different page by putting our mind and our bodies in different environments. Some of the ways that I do this and that you can look into doing this is going to be through things like declarations, declaring things over your life and over who you are. I am a strong woman. I am beautiful. I am loved. I am successful. I am valuable. It might sound crazy to do that initially. And honestly, if it sounds crazy, it might be because you don't believe those things. If you do believe them, they're usually pretty easy. Like, well, duh. And so maybe you think it's dumb because you already believe them. But in my experience, when I was started doing declarations, the hardest thing about doing them was the fact that I didn't feel like I was worthy of them. I felt like they were lies. I just felt like I was literally declaring lies, which we typically don't like to be liars, right? And so um, declarations are really powerful. And over the next few episodes, actually through the month of October, I'm going to be digging deeper into the five things I did in 2019 that significantly turned around my mental health and my gut health as well as how you can be grateful in pain and what gratitude does for our health. If you've heard about gratitude and how it can really help your health, diving into that again and doing a refresher. And if you've never heard of it, I strongly encourage you, wait for that episode to come out. It's going to be really awesome to hear about how gratitude can really help our health. And so again, the goal is to get us to a different page in our in our DNA manual that could be affecting 
Your gut health could be affecting your autoimmune health, could be affecting your mental health. And lastly, on the question of psychology and its connection to sickness, if you are interested in hearing more, you can also turn back to episode four in the Better Belly podcast, where I had my friend and mentor, Nikki Kenward, on, where she shared about how your biography becomes your biology. Nikki has a history of PTSD through a near-death experience, and she ended up healing her gut through dance, her background in dance and craniosacral therapy, and helping herself heal her gut by reconnecting to her body and helping heal her body from PTSD as well as her mind. That episode is really amazing. She also shared about a girl she helped um, who could only eat through a feeding tube because her GI system was so distraught. It was just so broken. She could only use a feeding tube. And she helped this girl regain her strength. She got her out of her wheelchair and she was walking around and eating whole foods again in a year. I mean, just an incredible episode, episode four of the Better Belly podcast. Go check it out. I totally cried when I listened to her story about that girl. And I'd actually already heard it before. It is just that touching. So you guys ready? We're going to move on to number three. Is your sickness spiritual? Now, this question might be, I don't know, maybe you want to turn off the podcast right now. Maybe you're like, Allison, that was really interesting. Biological, psychological, I'm done. But this question was really important to me. I grew up as a Christian, and I am still a Christian. It is a very important aspect of who I am and how I see the world and how I interpret the world and my place in it and the trajectory I'm growing and what my place is in it. So when I got sick, first of all, in sixth grade with depression and anxiety, when I was diagnosed with that, the question came up, like, do I pray about it? What is the Lord trying to teach me in this? Or maybe this is just me experiencing suffering and pressing into suffering um, because our spiritual beliefs really fuel our perspective on the world. Do we believe that suffering exists or doesn't exist? Do we believe we should do anything about it? There are certain religions that say that the suffering that other people go through, it's because of what they did and that they deserve it. Um, There's other religions that say that we should stop suffering and that we should bind up and care for other people. And so it can really change our perspective on our own suffering of, did I do this? Is this punishment? Is this something that I need to work through? Is this something that can change? It can also be an effect of, um, is this uh, an attack from evil spiritual thing. And you might be like, Allison, this is crazy. You just jumped over the deep end. But I I am talking to the people that I know are asking this question. So to start this question off, I really want to share a story. So when I was in, let's see, it would have been 2016, I was a year into being sick. I knew that I wanted to stop being sick. And I really believe that as a Christian, that God is all powerful, that he cares for us, that he sees us, but that also things will happen. He's He's not micromanaging the universe, but because he's given us free will. So, and that's its whole other topic. But I was praying and regularly asking friends to pray for me because I was sick. And I remember having one day when I was at church and I felt like I should have someone pray and put their hands on my back. It didn't make a lot of sense to me because I remember thinking, my sickness is not in my back. My sickness is in my belly. I'm really sick. But I obeyed that thought 
believing that it was a prompting from God. And I asked a friend, I said, hey, um, it's funny, she's actually a physical therapist, friend of mine, so very science-based. I said, hey, could you just put your hand on my back and pray for me? Well, you know, nothing immediate happened in the moment, but I remember about two years later when I was studying GI health, and it was about a year after I met my pelvic floor therapist, Allegra, who did craniosacral therapy and visceral manipulation and really helped turn me around. And I was studying visceral manipulation, and there is this structure that goes from the small intestines to our lumbar spine. It's our back. It's called the mesenteric root, and it's this root that anchors our small intestines to our back and our body. And in this root, there's blood, there's arteries and veins and lymphatic ducts, and it's where we give nutrients to the gut, and it's actually where all of the nutrients you take in when you're eating, it goes through the mesenteric root because it gets sucked in through the cilia, and then once it's in your bloodstream, that bloodstream goes to your mesenteric root. It's a very important structure. Well, I had learned that a lot of my clients with GI problems have low back pain, like a lot of them. And so if you have low back pain, you're listening to this and you have GI problems, listen in. I found that whenever I had someone who said, I have GI problems and I have low back pain, I would go to the mesenteric root and release it. It was usually very, very tight, very, very restricted. And their low back pain would go away. It would go away at the end of that session. People would be crazy mystified. My low back pain had gone away since I'd seen Allegra. And I suddenly realized, and I immediately thought back to that time when my friend prayed over my back. And I had, in faith, said, I'm going to trust that this is is accurate. There's something going on with my back that is connected to my GI system. As it turns out, it did. And so... Here's some of the pros and cons of thinking about your sickness on the spiritual level. On the spiritual level, your sickness is a little bit more mysterious, but it's more flexible than my biology and it's more ethereal than psychology. Psychology still says your behavior is your fault. You have willpower problems if you can't get your act together. Um, You have willpower problems if you can't keep yourself from being suicidal. You have willpower problems if you can't do declarations and be grateful for your life. Um, And those were things that felt really condemning to me. But in Christianity and in my faith, I knew that God is not condemning. So how am I supposed to deal with the fact that he's not condemning me for my psychology? He's not determining, I don't believe anymore that my biology is determined 100% by my DNA. So what is the in-between? What are the other factors going on? So asking myself about the question is, is my sickness spiritual? It took me into this other realm other than me, myself, and I, where basically it was my body's fault, my DNA's fault, and my mind's fault. It made me really question, are there other forces involved? And whether that force is the breaking down of the universe because of suffering and our distance from God, and in other religions, you might be asking other questions of yourself. But ultimately, you made me realize um, some of the other pros that I had was I thought outside of the box, other than medication, other than just stop thinking that way, which is kind of like in psychology and mindset work and positive thinking. It's like, just stop thinking that way. It really made me realize that there might be something rooted deeper. Um, some of the cons were that I didn't always know what the solution was, but I knew I wanted to keep searching and really see what the full extent of this was. So as I continue to dig into 
my spirituality, how much it was involved in my health and or was it involved, I discovered some really interesting things. First off, I had a self-hatred problem. I would consider that a spiritual problem. I mean, self-hatred is a part of your identity. It's, it's looking inward and saying, your identity is bad. I believed I was unworthy. That's a spiritual problem because what makes you worthy? Is it your behavior? Like if it's a behavioral problem, that's more of an atheistic point of view. And if you are atheistic, then you might say that sounds reasonable. But if you believe that there's a spiritual realm at all, that there's anything else going on, that there might be other forces, whether it's a god or multiple gods, then you really want to consider that where does your worthiness come from? Does it come from your behavior? Does it come from something endowed in you? Um, I believe that it's something endowed in us, that God created us worthy, that he created us lovable. But I hated myself. I was literally contradicting the values of someone who created me, who is powerful enough and and loving enough, they decided I was worth making. I judged other people, which was not my position. I'm not a judge. It's not my career. I, um, yeah, I especially struggle with that as a child, just because as humans, we are prone to taking the place of God. And that was very stressful and honestly didn't help me in my relationships to be judgmental. But I believe that was a spiritual problem. It was rooted in my spirit, not just in my in my mind, but very deeply in things I needed to root out. And I also had a scarcity mindset. I didn't believe that there'd be enough. I was anxious. I was fearful. It really affected my day-to-day um, goings about. And the only reason I believe that you shouldn't have a scarcity mindset is if the reality of the situation truly is not scarcity. A lot of our economics are based on scarcity models. And, you know, as demand goes up, um, that things can get more expensive, especially if supply doesn't go up. So if there's a limit on either how much food there is or how much medicine, that makes something more expensive. And so I really just was always anxious that maybe my mom didn't have enough time for me or my friend didn't have enough time for me or wouldn't have enough money. Like all those things were constantly there opposed to an abundance mindset, which aside from my faith, I couldn't adopt. I couldn't just say everything else in this world for the most part suggests a scarcity mindset. But for me, it made sense that the only thing that a spiritual perspective was required for me to have an abundant mindset, for me to be self-loving, and for me to believe that I was worthy. All those things really impacted my psychology, and they also really impacted my biology. And my gut responded to all of it. My gut responded to my depression, anxiety. My gut responded to my self-hatred. My gut responded to maybe behavioral things that were not helpful, including my extreme sensitivity towards diet. I became so fearful about diet, about what foods were going to hurt me, and ended up just hurting me more because I was so stressed out about the food. It's my goal when I work with people to reduce food restrictions, to have an increased trust in food, to have an increased faith in food. So all this to say, when I look back on both my experience of depression, anxiety, and my digestive dysfunction, which I call IBS on steroids, I really look back and I see that my body had certain processes breaking down in me, partly because of my biology, partly because of my DNA predisposition, partly because of my psychology, because of thought patterns that I had developed that I had learned from my parents or from family members. 
and partly because of my spirituality, the things that I believed about the world that I have decided that I needed to correct. I was not believing the truth. I was believing lies. And believing lies, while it's not true, is just as harmful because it feels like the truth. And that's why I wanted to share this episode, because when I was sick with digestive problems in 2015 and 2017, I was trying to Google an answer. I was looking for the diet, the medication, the doctor who could fix things for me. And doctors were very happy to readily medicate me with one pill that didn't work. I really believe that there was more going on and I can see several stages in my gut healing more and more that started with craniosacral therapy and visceral manipulation that moved to healing my mind in 2019 through five things that I did daily and then through fixing some of my biochemical stuff that was going on, including realizing I had a parasite, which I learned this year. And I will also be sharing about how I address that parasite in future upcoming episodes very soon. Keep waiting. So if you are on this journey, I encourage you, think openly. Do not just get bogged down in maybe it's that one food that's hurting me. Maybe it's this one habit I have that is my fault. Really think about there might be other processes going on biologically that you're not considering. That is something that I love to look into with my clients. We look for those vital voids, the things that are there but that are hard to see unless you get just another set of eyes on your body. And if you want someone to walk with you on this journey, to think about biology, to think about biochemicals, to listen for breakdowns in psychology, or to explore the spiritual, set up a complimentary consultation call with me. I would love to hear your story and see if we'd be a good fit together. When I work with clients, we don't just look at labs, although we do totally look at labs. We don't just talk about meditating or having healthy boundaries or learning to say no to other people, although we also do these things. We don't just talk about learning to trust our body, trust food, and give ourselves space to heal. We talk about all of these things. There is never the pretense that one thing will heal you. That is like a miracle. That's like why I share miracles are immediate, but healing takes time. Usually, it takes several pieces put together over time to strengthen you and create a healthier body and giving yourself time to heal. Over the next three episodes, I'll be going over the psychological and spiritual practices I did that yielded the greatest results in my gut health change for me. The five things I did every day in 2019 to heal my gut, how to be grateful in the pain, and a surprise episode at the end of October for you all. I am so excited. I hope you loved this episode. If this episode brought to mind any new thoughts or ideas, hop over onto Instagram at Better Belly Therapies and let me know what you loved about this episode. Share a screenshot and share your favorite quote from this episode. And if you loved this episode and you thought of somebody else who would really benefit from it, I encourage you take that screenshot and share it with your friends. I cannot count on how many times someone has told me that they know a friend, family, sister, brother, neighbor who needs me. So send that friend a love note to their gut and share this podcast with them. For now, I'm going to leave you with my quote, your quote, a quote that I hope continues to bring you comfort and stir some thoughts in your mind. Miracles are immediate, but healing takes time.